University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. last song in our Christmas carol. Everybody's familiar with this Christmas carol, I'm sure. No? You don't remember this? You didn't sing this in the hymn book growing up? No? Okay. So as a child of the 1980s, I cannot tell you how excited I am that Ghostbusters is back in the zeitgeist uh, with the release of uh, the new Ghostbusters movie that features a lot of the original characters. Now you might be thinking, we're supposed to be in this series, Unfamiliar Christmas Carol. Why in the world are you playing Ghostbusters? Well, if you know the Christmas narrative to its full extent, then you know that ghosts have a lot to do with it. Now, I'm not referring to uh, a Christmas carol, the ghost of Christmas past, the present, and future. I'm referring to the great holy ghost. Did anyone grow up in a church that, church tradition, that the Bible translation or the hymns you sung refer to the holy ghost? Anybody? Nothing scared the bejesus more out of me as a child than the talk of a holy ghost being around us, especially in the worship experience. I mean, that, that's a spooky thing for kids to try to, to consume. So let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 21, and we'll see how ghost, the holy ghost, what it has to do with the Christmas story. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time for the circumcision of the child, he was named Jesus. The angels had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required of the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to the offer to sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Okay, for the sake of time and for physical discomfort, we're going to skip over the whole circumcision thing. Uh, but as comedian Jim Gaffigan remarks, when he looked up circumcision in the dictionary, it actually read owie uh, from the Latin word, ah! So to avoid all awkwardness and just get straight to the point, circumcision was an outward symbol of a child's acceptance into the covenant of God made through Israel. And this gave him an identity. So Luke confirms that Mary and Joseph not only were faithful to their faith tradition, but we're faithful to God's guidance to call him Jesus. It's the Hebrew name uh, Yeshua, which literally translates God is salvation. And as if the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph wasn't clear enough, Luke tells us that they were perfectly following the law of Moses by bringing him to the temple to be dedicated, not before Mary uh, faithfully followed the commands uh, that she must be purified after giving birth. The law was put into place not to defile the holy temple. So Mary and Joseph were so faithful in following the way of God that they made the six-mile trek from Bethlehem to Jerusalem on foot. Has anyone ever gone on a road trip with a newborn? Can you imagine walking six miles with a crying baby who needs to eat and have his diaper cleaned every hour? And we just see how faithful they are in the way that they invested what little money they had to purchase two turtle doves or pigeons to offer as a sacrifice on behalf of this child's well-being and future. 
according to the law of Moses, this was the acceptable offering for those that were poor. What a powerful reminder of, of God that, that, that we have to take on the responsibility of the greatest gift of this world, that, that God chose these two illiterate poor peasants to do great things. And they use this in, in such a valuable way to honor God. And so as parents, faith leaders, as grandparents, and as spiritual parents, may we be inspired by Mary and Joseph's faithfulness. May we come to see at how serious we should take our role in raising children up in the right way according to God's ways. We didn't have a, a big glimpse into Jesus' childhood, but this gives us a sneak peek into the type of parents that Mary and Joseph were. They nurtured this child with faith and obedience and hopefulness to God. Not every child is the son of God, but it doesn't mean that as parents and grandparents and as faith leaders and as spiritual parents, we can't take serious our role to shape and form and love and nurture God's little ones uh, with, with kindness and compassion and joy and hopefulness in, in the loving way of God. But let's look what happens next in, in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. <clears throat> he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Luke is such a masterful storyteller. Do you remember us in our Christmas Eve service how we were talking about it seems such a strange pivot to go from the manger scene to these weirdo shepherds in the fields? It's the same way here. Mary and Joseph are, are dutifully following their custom to honor God with this newborn child. And then Luke immediately shifts to this old guy named Simeon. But what makes Simeon so unique is <clears throat> he was told by God that he would not die until he had witnessed the Messiah's coming. W what a brilliantly strange promise from God to this obscure priest. And you know Simeon, Simeon must have not kept that promise to himself, telling his, his family and his neighbors and his community he was the weird old guy who would not shut up about how God had made him this promise that he would see the Lord's Messiah. And everyone in the village probably had written him off as this crazy person, as, as someone who was waiting around for God to do something that seems that it was never going to happen. Remember, this was a time when the people were desperate for God to move and to act. They were not only under the subjugation of Rome, but they were under Rome's puppet ruler of Herod the Great. And Simeon's waiting for God to fulfill God's promise is an overshadow of, of the Hebrew people waiting on God to fulfill God's promise to them. And for Simeon, he wasn't, he must have just, he must have waited and waited and waited how many children were brought before him in the temple wondering to himself, is this the one? Or maybe is this the one? Okay, that kid is definitely not the one. That kid right there is going to give his parents a run for their money. But how long did he wait? Do you feel like you can connect with Simeon? Do you feel like you have been waiting on God to move and to act and to speak or to just do something in your life? Maybe you've been waiting for God to change the circumstances of your life, that job that doesn't pay you as much or runs your spirit into the ground, that home or that car that 
has repair after repair after repair, that friendship or that relationship that has conflict after conflict after conflict. That's a very difficult place to be in. It's a place where you know you have faith, but your mind tells you that, that maybe you're wrong. Maybe God doesn't want to move in this way. Maybe there's more important people that God has to get to first. What's even more difficult is when we feel you are doing everything the right way when it comes to your faith. Simeon was described as a righteous and devout man. Don't you think he believed that he was doing all that he was supposed to be doing as a dutiful believer? And so the mind begins to wonder, what did I do wrong? Or am I not faithful enough? Waiting on God challenges us emotionally, bringing up feelings of of frustration and deep puzzlement and sometimes even despair. You know that our family uh, takes a lot of really long road trips, driving as much as 13 hours in a day. Um, And with so much time on your hands, it's amazing uh, on, on a given day how much you don't realize that we are constantly doing things to keep ourselves busy in life. But when you're, in, when you're in a car for that long, unless you planned in advance, there's not a lot to do. Luckily, downloading movies to iPads, handheld game systems, travel games, and so much more, kids still find themselves asking that age-old question, are we there yet? Now, I felt like my parents recently when I was explaining to my kids that when I was their age, I didn't have any of this technology I had to keep myself entertained with my thoughts and creativity all day long. And oh my gosh, it was so boring. (laughs) So when we are waiting on God to move and to act and to speak, it can feel like it's taking so long. So what to do when waiting on God? Maybe we can take note from Simeon, who despite receiving this word from the Holy Spirit of God, went about his day, day after day, remaining faithful to the one who knew would fulfill the promises and sustain him. And as Luke tells us, Simeon was devout and righteous. One can only imagine that the man continued to pray, to study God's word, to express gratitude and blessings upon God, and to remember back to the times that he saw God faithful in his past. Sometimes the worst thing we can do and waiting is to do nothing but just complain and, and abandon the very things that draw us closer to God. So when we're waiting, the best thing to do is to pray, even if you're struggling to believe that God is listening. Studying God's word, committing to worship and learning, to engage in deep spiritual conversations within the church and with others, and to remember where you've seen God at work in the past. But look at what happens in verse 27. It says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled what was said about him. Before we get to the excitement of this moment for Simeon and for for the Holy Family, family, there's this phrase that repeats three times in, in very short verses. Luke states that the Holy Spirit rested on Simeon. 
that Holy Spirit revealed to him. And now in verse 27, the Simeon was guided by the Holy Spirit on this day. Holy Spirit, the literal translation of this phrase is sacred wind or sacred breath. Throughout the sacred scriptures, we see the Spirit of God as depicted as wind, as breath, as a flame, as a, as a dove, as a, filler, as a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Genesis 1 re- refers to the Spirit of God as hovering above the primordial waters. Later in Genesis 2, it says that God breathed life into the first human's lungs. This is the same Spirit of God that called forth Moses from the burning bush, that parted the waters of the Red Sea, that empowered Elijah to call down fire from heaven. The sacred text shows us again and again that God is present and at work in our world and in our lives. Even imparting sacred promises to old men that they would one day see the the Savior of the world. Simeon is also a a metaphor for the people of God that were waiting for God to fulfill God's promises of the Messiah's coming. Even in the feelings of abandonment, God is present in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Or as the great Patrick wrote, Christ is with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eyes that see me, Christ in the ear that hears me. Even in the most soul-wrenching feelings that God has abandoned you, God's Spirit still dwells within us and around us and through us. So Simeon is in the temple performing his daily task, receiving the offerings from the individuals and blessing these children. He might have even been walking through the motions of of years of hoping and praying that God would one day bring about God's Messiah. But something awakens within him in this moment. The scripture tells us that the Spirit of God was moved. But in this moment, Simeon knew without a shadow of doubt that this child was the one that he is blessing that will be the Savior of the world. And we can't even contain or understand the excitement and joy, the exclamation that we hear in the song of praise that he lifts to God. Simeon was acutely aware of God's presence in his life. Are we acutely aware of God's presence in our lives? Has the busyness of day-to-day living blinded us from being aware of God's work in and around our lives? Has the disappointment of work and relationships and financial struggles blinded us from seeing uh, and, and seeing how God is moving all around us? Has the cynicism of our world hindered our soul from anticipation of the Spirit of God at work? When was the last time, or has there ever been a time, in which you felt so overwhelmed with joy and hope over God's presence in your life. So much of our religious lives have trained us to just walk through the motions of Sunday school and tithing and sitting in worship and sitting and standing and bowing our heads and leaving. Do we take joy in knowing that God is at work in our lives? You know, I ask myself, these tough questions in preparing for this morning's message, 
And so I stopped and considered what I actually get excited about in my life. Nothing gets me quicker off the couch than a past connection between Alabama's Bryce Young and John Mechie. Nothing gets me more giggly like a child on Christmas morning than the sneak peeks into the latest Star Wars or Marvel movies. Do you get that bubbly excitement on the night before you go on that big vacation? I asked us to consider if we are acutely aware of God's presence in our lives, but I think an even more telling question is, are we excited about what God is doing in and around our lives? And if we're not acutely aware of what God is doing in and around our lives, and we're not excited about what God is doing in and around our lives, can we see the extraordinary invitation from Jesus that he is extending to us to join him in a faith-centered relationship? It's so easy to walk through the religious motions, to say the right things, to do the right things, to act the right way, without actually being deeply connected with the God who it all centers around. There's something special about Simeon. He didn't just believe in the promises from God, but he was so deeply connected to the Spirit of God and what God was doing in and around him that he could recognize in an instant that God was doing something. Not that child, not that child, but this child. This child is the Messiah of the world. And he was overcome with excitement and joy and hope. Simeon will go on to bless the child as he waited so long to do, proclaiming that this little one is surely the one that will cause the many to rise and to fall, while others will will be pierced by his humility and revealed our, the needs before God. But this isn't the last encounter in the temple. It says this in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Pinnel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was widowed until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is not the first time in the early stage of Luke's Gospels in which we learn that, that women are an integral part of what the Spirit of God is doing in remarkable ways. We first learn of Elizabeth's faith that she could bear a son in her old age to pave the way for the Messiah's public ministry. Then we encounter a 14-year-old illiterate virgin named Mary who had encountered with a messenger of God who informs her that she will bring God's son into the world. Now we have an old widowed woman, typically abused and overlooked by society, making this prophetic proclamation about this child. What we should contextually understand is that this Despite the highly misogynistic, patriarchal, masculine society that Jesus was born into, God chose women to lead. Men, women were the ones who were open to the spirit of God and God's word and God's leadership. And what we can learn from Anna is that when we are attuned to the spirit of God, God can use us, even the most unlikely of people, to do remarkable things. And Luke lays out the faithfulness of this woman who had, after being widowed only seven years into her marriage, has spent the last uh, six-plus decades in the temple fasting and praying and worshiping God. 
How attuned she must have been to God's word and ways. She recognized who this child was. It's not like Mary and Joseph were walking into the temple with a a onesie that Jesus was wearing that said Messiah or King of the Universe. (laughs) Do you ever feel like you're insignificant? Do you ever feel like because of who you are, of what you're capable of doing, that you can't make a difference? And often these feelings come from our age or our station of life or our gender or ethnicity or our personalities or our giftedness or our experience. Except Luke just completely destroys this notion by showing us how two people, an old man and an old widow woman, are used in remarkable ways. Imagine what God can do in and through you as you become more attuned to how God is moving and working in your life and in the world around you. The magnitude of this moment has an impact not only on Mary and Joseph, but also Jesus, as Luke wraps up this report in verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to see their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Luke caps off this story uh, of Jesus as a baby, being reminded his readers that yet again that Mary and Joseph were faithful and obedient to God, doing everything as they were instructed by the law. And they returned home to Nazareth, and Jesus grew up to become strong and filled with God's wisdom. God's grace was upon him. So the final challenge I want us to take away from our text is for each of us to live spirit-filled and spirit-led lives. As we see the example from Anna and Simeon, that God does speak and God does move in our lives through the Holy Spirit. God communicates his will and gives us everything we need to follow God obediently. Simeon was given a promise from God to, to wait and to wait and to wait to see it fulfilled. Can you imagine waiting year after year after year? How impatient we get in our lives over things that take so long. I get so impatient about the internet being slow. Or I have to wait a couple days for a package to come in the mail. But Simeon was filled with the Spirit of God that he was willing to stay faithful for years. And because he lived a Spirit-filled and Spirit-led life, Simeon knew on this day that this child was the one that God was bringing forth into this world. Can you imagine being so attuned to the Spirit of God that you can see and hear and understand what God is doing? Can you imagine being so in tune with the Spirit of God that you obediently follow in the way of Jesus day after day, seeing those God moments in your day, not only for yourself, but also for the people that you encounter? When you and I choose to live Spirit-led and Spirit-filled lives, then we choose to be obedient to the way of Jesus day in and day out, no matter the circumstances we face. And as the Spirit moves and guides our lives, we will begin to see that the kingdom of God is more holistic and realistic than we thought possible. And from our text, we can see that the Spirit of God is is breathing life and light and hope and love into our weary and often impatient souls. And if we're willing to have faith to believe and to act, God can use us to make a remarkable impact on our lives, and on the lives around us.
But will we have faith to follow the Spirit of God? Let's enter into a time of reflection this morning.